0: We are dedicated to spreading the good news of Jesus Christ through all available means with a sole focus of teaching the word, making it plain, sharing it with love. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I'm a believer. I'm not a doubter. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above only, I'm not beneath. I'm blessed and cannot be cursed. I shall live and not die, and declare the salvation of the Lord. (laughs) No weapon, (laughs) no weapon formed against me shall prosper. My life is getting better after I've heard and done the word of God. Hallelujah, glory to his name, amen, amen. Good morning, Faith Temple and Friends. I am so glad to be here this morning. And how can we not be pumped up after we do a confession of faith that tells us we are believers, we are not doubters. And if we hear the word and apply the word, our lives will be better. It is a perfect reminder for what we are going to talk about today. The subject that we have today is what are we going to do now? And the scripture is 2 Kings 6, 24 33, 2 Kings 6, 24 through 33, and what we want to, I want you to think about today is whether or not there has ever been a time in your life when you didn't know what to do, have you ever been caught between the proverbial rock and the hard place, I would imagine that if you took a few minutes to ponder your life journey, the answer to both of those questions will be yes, you may even be in that place right now. And I believe that there is a deliverance word for us today if we listen intently and we apply what we were here today. Because a week or so ago, the Father woke me up in the middle of the night with that question. So what are you going to do now? What I actually heard is what is we going to do now? You know how we do it when we get in, in real trouble. We forget about proper grammar and proper English and we just hear it like we hear it. What is we going to do now is what I heard. And through a series of events, the Lord led me to the scripture that we are going to explore today. So I implore you to be prayerful as we wait on the word from the Lord, which, again, I believe will make our lives better. And I will be back after the reading of our scripture for today.
1: I'll be reading the scriptures this morning. and Again, it's coming from Second Kings. 6 24 through 33, and I'm going to be reading the easy to read version. After this happened, King Ben Hadad of Arham gathered all his army and went to surround and attack the city of Samaria. The soldiers would not let people bring food into the city, so there was a time of terrible hunger in Samaria. It was so bad in Samaria that a donkey's head was sold for 80 pieces of silver and one pint of dove's dung was sold for five pieces of silver. The king of Israel was walking the wall around the city. A woman shouted out to him. She said, my lord and king, please help me. The king of Israel said, if the Lord does not help you, how can I help you? I cannot give you grain from the threshing floor or wine from the winepress. Then he said to her, what is your trouble? She answered, this woman said to me, give me your son so that we can eat him today. Then we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. Then the next day I said to this woman, give me your son so that we can eat him. But she had hidden her son. When the king heard the woman's words, he tore his clothes to show he was upset. As he passed by on the wall, the people saw the king was wearing the rough cloth under his clothes to show he was sad and upset. The king said, may God punish me if the head of Elisha's son, Sapphath, is still on his body at the end of this day. The king sent a messenger to Elisha. Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. Before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, look, that son of a murderer is sending men to cut off my head. When the messenger arrives, shut the door, hold the door, and don't let him in. I hear the sound of the master's feet coming behind him. When Elisha was still talking with the elders, the messenger came to him. This was the message. This trouble has come from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? May the Lord add a reading and a blessing to the hearers, doers of his word. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the word that you
0: have for us today. Father, I ask that this word permeates our hearts. That you give us the mind to understand what you are saying to us today, and you give us the courage to apply it. Even when life is pressing down on us, Father, I ask that you give us the patience, you give us the courage, you give us the faith to apply your word. Father, help us to see you as bigger, help us to wait on you, help us, Father, when we feel. The question rising up in our spirit, what are we going to do today if we live long enough? We realize that that question will come. And so, Father, as it does, we ask that you give us what it takes to lean into you and to wait until you answer. And it's in your precious son, Jesus' name we pray and we thank you. Amen. So as I was uh, studying this scripture on this week, I started to ponder my life's journey and I remembered a few times in particular where I wondered inwardly and I expressed it outwardly, what are we going to do now? This question weighed heavily on my mind during times when I didn't have enough food to feed my daughter and you all know the story when I had extra payments due at school and I couldn't continue my education if I wasn't able to pay it and I had long run out of money. So I had the bill and I didn't have the money. And so you can imagine me going, what am I going to do? Because if I cannot pay this bill, I cannot go to school. All the plans that I have are contingent upon me getting this degree. And so I surely asked myself, what am I going to do now? I pondered this question when my sister, who was a pedestrian at the time, got hit by a truck going 65 miles per hour and it took her a year to heal from the physical damage the emotional damage took much longer i pondered the question again when we almost drowned in the guadalupe river and there was nothing to grab onto and nothing to hold on to And when I wanted to give up and I heard Minister Rollins' voice say, you will not die in this river, and I had to regain myself and grab hold to the bridge that was nearby. I pondered in that water. I have to tell you, what are we going to do now? And I pondered it a long time in 1997 when my sister first went into full renal failure and was put on dialysis on April 30th. And a few days later, around May 5th, my mom was in the hospital having heart surgery. And during that time, I was in the middle of putting the final touches on my dissertation because I was preparing to graduate with my PhD on May 17th. So the days and the months to follow were filled with distress, to say the least. Again, both my sister and my mom were in the hospital and I flew into Nashville to visit them. And I had to fly back to Nashville a few days later to march across the stage. And this moment that I had envisioned in my life was rolling out so differently than I had thought it would. My mom wasn't there. My sister wasn't there. My brother wasn't there. They were all absent from the biggest Um, educational accomplishment in my life and of course it was understandable but it was still hugely sad and distressing for me because again it was actually happening vastly different than what I thought would happen but I am thankful that my daughter was there and she actually ended up being the person who hooded me and in hindsight I realized that it It was as it should have been, and I am grateful for the hand of God, even in that. But in any case, those two events, when they happened back to back like that, and when that time in my life wasn't happening like I thought it was, I knew on the inside that the course of my life was changing. It was going to be different than what I thought it was going to be, I'm not saying that it turned out differently than it was always supposed to be, but it was turning out differently than I thought it was going to be. Because, see, in my mind, I had planned to move to Florida and to work for Big Pharma because I was going to be rich. I had a goal to be rich. I was going to be rich, and Big Pharma was going to be my way to get there yet when my sister went into renal failure and got on dialysis and my mom was having heart surgery, I knew that my plans were changing. I remember having the thought, can I actually go to Florida and have this grand life when things back home are so terrible? And I knew that I couldn't. And I remember crying because things were going to be different than I thought they should have been. And I, Remember those days. I was thinking about those days this week and I don't know how much of those details you all remember or even what you really knew at that time. For those of you who know my family and. But immediately after my sister went on dialysis, she had stopped speaking for a while. She was depressed, unlike I had ever seen her. And she was unemployed because. Before she was uh, diagnosed with renal failure and went on dialysis, she was so sick, and she didn't know why, and she wasn't well enough to work. So she had no job. She had her own bills, which she could no longer pay. And when she finally started speaking, she was first only speaking to me, and she was speaking only through sign language. Now, she was proficient in sign language, so I wasn't. I wasn't. So even trying to connect with her via communication was a nightmare because I could only pick up a word here or there. And it was difficult trying to understand the heart, what was going on in her heart and what was going on in her mind. Even the communication was a barrier. And so we then moved to pictures and then written words until she was able to find her voice again. And and she stayed in the hospital a while during that time. And during that time, I had to fly back to Nashville and pack up my apartment and prepare to move back home. And in August of that year, I actually moved back to Houston. I had no job. I had the dreams of moving to Florida and getting rich, had died. I was carrying the emotional weight of that. I had loads of student loan debt. I had a daughter to raise, and I was faced with the reality that my sister had bills that needed to be paid and hospital bills that were mounting. And I started to fret. And and I was grateful that you know I had a few savings that we could live off of for a little while and. But I still was fretting and I still was asking myself, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? And when I finally landed a job, it was in December, and the job only paid like $29,000 per year. And by that time, my sister's hospital bills had mounted up to around a million dollars. And while I am sure she discussed this situation with my mother and with others, and I'm not privy to those discussions, but I am privy to the discussions that she and I had. And I know that there were days and there were nights where we were discussing what we were going to do, and we fretted about it, and we fretted, and we discussed. And when I finally got to the point where I knew that my paltry salary would never be enough, I remember my sister looking at me and me looking at her and she actually said, so what are we going to do now? And as hard as that time was for us, it is small in comparison to what the children of Israel were experiencing in our scripture today. In this text, in 2 Kings, the sixth chapter, the city of Samaria is under attack by the Syrian army, the Syrian army, the Bible said had besieged the city. They had taken hold of the city and Samaria was a walled off city and the wall was supposed to be the protection to keep enemies from getting in and the Syrian army knew that and they never had the intent of breaking the wall and getting in and so what they did was surround The city, their whole army, they focused in one place and they surrounded the city of Samaria. They surrounded the wall. And what they strategically did was cut off uh, the food supply and cut off the children of Israel's ability to trade for goods and services. And so the Bible tells us that the food supply had run so short that they had started to do things that we would never even consider doing. They had started to eat food that we would not even touch, the Bible says, and even worse, two two women, at least two. We don't know how many more, but we know it. these two women had started bargaining to eat their own children. So these were dark days indeed for the children of Israel, yet God never abandoned them. He never took his eye off them. And even he even um, worked the miracle to rescue them. And when we read these scriptures and we read this story, we can find hope for our own situations. When we find ourselves with feelings of hope, of, of no hope and bewilderment, when we find ourselves asking the question, what are we going to do now? We can turn to this scripture during those times and we can see the hands of God. And like I was saying to you earlier, King Ben-Hadad of Syria had devised a strategy where he had boxed in the city of Samaria with all of Syria's military forces. Now, Samaria was the capital of the city of Israel, and so it was the place where the king of Israel was, and it was also the place where all the elders were located. And so once he had surrounded the city, no one could leave the city and no one could enter it. And so that meant that the city was cut off, like I told you earlier, from being able to trade for goods and services and all of their other necessities were no longer available to them. And so as a result, the food had become extremely short. And there was a famine taking place in Samaria, the city of God's chosen people, even though everything around them was in plentiful supply. So if you listen to the the, the to the scripture when when it was being read, I want you to think about how short the food supply was. And what that means is that. There was a demand for food. Everybody wanted to eat and there was nothing to eat. And when that happens, just like it does today, the prices of things start to go up. We, we've we been there before when, when gas has been short supply, when demand goes up, the prices go up. It happens every summer. And so we know. What this feels like, but what we may not fully be able to appreciate is that things had gotten so hard that the Bible says that a donkey's head was being sold for eighty pieces of silver, and a pint—I want not a pint of ice cream, but a pint of doves' dung, doves' doo doo, doves' waste, whatever you want to call it—was being sold for five pieces of silver, and. Just yesterday, I was talking to somebody and I was complaining to them about this place called the Ice Cream Factory. Where if if they are not in your location and you want to buy a pint of ice cream from them, it costs $17.50. And I thought, it's no way I'm paying $17.50 for a pint of ice cream. I'm not paying $17.50 for a pint. Of ice cream, and I submit to you today that the people of Israel in that day would have happily paid the price for a pint of ice cream. Instead, they were paying premium prices for food that wasn't really food and it was actually things that they were forbidden to eat. I want to say to you that these were indeed desperate times. And then the Bible goes on to tell us that even worse than eating donkey heads and dove waste, there were two women who, thinking they were about to starve to death, had entered into an agreement to eat their own children. And I thought about the desperation that needs to be set in for you to think about eating your own children. And I know that there are mothers out there today, most mothers would rather die than even think of something so horrendous. But it points to the desperation these women felt. And they had entered into agreement to eat their own children, to offer them up as the evening meal. That's what the Bible says. And then the Bible goes on to say that one of these women looked up and she saw the king as he was walking by on the wall of the city. And the Bible says she cried out to him and she begged him for help. This was the mother that had already sacrificed her child and they had already cut it up, cooked it and ate it. And she was crying out to the king. And in my mind, she was seemingly complaining that since they had already eaten her child out of fairness, they should be preparing to eat the other child. However, she goes on to say that the other mother had hidden it. Now, I'm not quite sure what she wanted the king to do. I'm not quite sure if she wanted the king to make the other woman produce the child so that they can continue eating their children. I'm not quite sure, but the takeaway message for me is that these were desperate times indeed. And even though the king is rightfully horrified and justifiably angry, the Bible tells us It doesn't appear that he is angry about the right thing. He doesn't seem to understand that all of this is happening because of Israel's persistent relationship with sin. How they persistently disobey the things that God has told them to do. That is the reason they are in this place. Because remember... The land all around them is plentiful. It is just in their city that they are starving to death. And if we go and we read the Bible and we study the scripture, we'll see that centuries earlier Moses had prophesied that these things would take place if Israel continued to disregard God's law. He prophesied that they would be defeated by foreign armies. He prophesied that there would be severe hunger. He even prophesied about the cannibalism, and so these things should not have been foreign to them, but time had passed, and y'all know how we get when time passes, we think that time means that the consequences won't show up, we fail to realize the period of grace because time is passing, instead of us getting ourselves right in the time That is passing instead of us understanding that grace means we should stop and get it right. We persist in doing what it is that we are doing because the consequences have yet not shown up. And it's the same way here. Time had passed and at least one generation had died and the people forgot and they failed to see what was happening was a consequence of their decisions. To disobey God. So they started to see themselves as victims. And they started taking things into their own hands. And when we really look at the things that they were doing, they were further defiling God in the process. And so even though sin had got them to this place, they were turning to sinful things, things that disgraced God, things that made God eventually repent for all of this. They kept defiling God. And instead of leading the city into repentance, the king was furious with Elisha, the Bible says, and he threatened to have him beheaded. So then the Bible goes on to tell us that even in his anger, the king did get one thing right. Because When the woman asked him for help, he responded essentially by telling her that don't ask me for food. That's God's job. He's responsible for getting us out of this mess. And I don't want you to miss that point. We get ourselves into mess. But if we are to get out of the mess, God has to show up and he has to do something for our Deliverance. And this scripture goes on to tell us that the king sent a messenger to Elisha's house. And when the messenger got to Elisha's house, he was trying to force himself into Elisha's house. And Elisha told the people who were present to hold him off, to hold him off. But some sort of way, the messenger ended up forcing himself into the house. And the last recorded thing we see that he said was, The Lord is responsible for this disaster. And then he asked the question, Why? Should I continue to wait for the Lord to help? The Lord is responsible, he said. That shows you how short-sighted he was that day. And it also points to how short-sighted we can be that day. I heard Sister Ryland say when things go awry in our lives, one of the first things that we do is, is say the devil is busy. And sometimes some of us say, I don't know why the Lord did, or people will even question how can a good God allow? But somewhere, somehow, some reason we fail to ask ourselves: what did I do? How am I responsible for this disaster or this situation? What did I do that I should not have? Or what didn't I do that I should have? We fail to ask ourselves, and we become just like the children of Israel that day, we start acting like we're the victim because we fail to own the responsibility of how we got there. And while we don't always phrase things this way like the messenger did, while we don't always say, why should I continue to wait on the Lord for him, when we are in the middle of situations we, we actually behave, As if we are asking the question, we actually behave as if we are saying, why should I continue to wait on the Lord to help me as our bills mount and we get deeper into our sicknesses and situations? We start taking action. We do just like the women did that day. We start doing like the people did that day. We start figuring out. We start calling people we know. We call the people who have given us to us in the past. We call the people who have who we have borrowed from in the past. We call the people who have come through for us in the past. That's what we do. We call our children. We call our parents. We call our grandparents. We call our family. We call our friends. We start calling on others more than we call on the Lord. And the longer the situation lasts, the less we listen to the voice of God. And the more we start trying to figure it out. Some of us even start calling on the government to do something that is God's responsibility. Now, I'm not telling you that you shouldn't call on others, and I'm not telling you that you shouldn't go down to the government. I'm telling you that you should only call if the Lord is directing you to call, if you have been guided by the Holy Spirit to call. Otherwise, the proper response is to wait. And why do we wait? Because the Word of God tells us in matthew six twenty five through thirty four it tells us, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? I'm asking you today, are you not much more valuable than they? And then the word goes on to say, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? And then the word of God goes on to say, "O you of little faith. And then it encourages us by saying, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, the pagans. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. The word says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Yet, when things start happening in our lives, we worry about the food and we worry about the clothes and we worry about tomorrow, even though the word of God has told us not to do that. And so I submit to you today that even though we don't say, why can I? Why should I continue to wait on the Lord? We act like it. We act like it every time we call on somebody else to meet a need that God is supposed to meet. We act like it every time we fret, like I was doing that during that period of time, With my sister, every time we try to figure it out, every time we take it upon ourselves to provide for ourselves, we are asking, why should I continue to wait on the Lord to help me? We constantly ask it by our actions. We constantly say, why should I continue to wait? Every phone call. Every hour that we fret, every time that we beg, every time that we borrow, every time that we ask and we have not been led to ask. We are demonstrating how little faith we really have in God. So I want to encourage you today to change how you respond when you are caught between a rock and a hard place. Because I promise you, if you haven't already and even if you have already, you will, again, be caught in a place where you have to ask yourself, what am I going to do now? What are we going to do now? And during those times, I want to encourage you to lean into God. I want to encourage you to talk to him more than you talk to somebody else. I want to encourage you to ignore the urge to do what you have always done to get out of the situations, this life's journey has brought and ensured to bring more of. I want to encourage you to be okay with being uncomfortable for a while. I want to encourage you that even when you feel fearful, that you turn to God, that you trust, that you dig into his word and know that he will provide, and he will provide by men. It's just that you will not have to ask. He will provide in ways that you know not of and you will not have to ask man. You will have to learn to ask God. But if you don't, if you don't learn to lean into God, if you don't learn to ask, you will continue to limit God's creativity and the multitude of ways that he can come through. Because in your mind, he can only come through one or two ways. But if we look Further, And we go further into 2 Kings and we go into chapter 7. We'll see that God did the miraculous to deliver the children of Israel from the situation that they uh, found themselves in. Now, I don't have enough time to cover it all in detail today, but I encourage you to read the details in 2 Kings 7. And you will see a God who showed up even though the children of Israel never repented. He showed up. Even though they didn't wait, they never stopped worrying. They never stopped taking things in their own hands. He showed up and he provided in what to me is the weirdest, most amazingly creative way. He made the Syrian army the same one that had surrounded the city, the same one that had cut off all supplies and all trades and all goods and all services, the same one. He made them hear noises of great armies approaching them. And so in their fearfulness, they fled. There were no armies that were actually approaching them. God did the miraculous that made it sound like there were armies approaching them. And because It may have been in the middle of the night or in the early morning. I'm not sure, but they didn't take time to intellectualize what was going on. The Bible says that they thought that maybe the Egyptians and the Hittites had partnered up with the children of Israel and that, that they were now being attacked by armies greater than theirs, but there was nothing there. These were miraculous noises that God had created and Because they thought that they were being attacked, what they did was abandon their camp, and in so doing, they left riches behind, they left animals behind, they left clothes behind, they left weapons behind, and yes, they even left food. They left food behind, and the Bible goes on to tell us that um, I can't go over all the details. I don't have time. But the Bible goes on to tell us that the people ate. When they realized that the food was out there, they rushed out of the wall and they ate. And they ate to satisfaction. And they had some people became wealthy that day. There were lepers there that became wealthy that day. And so the fact of the matter is the people never needed to eat donkey heads and dumb droplets. They never had to. The women never had to offer their children up for the evening meal. They never actually had to eat a child. And can you imagine the guilt that they had to live with and perhaps even the punishment after? They never actually had to do any of those things. And you never actually have to do any of the things that you have done and may continue to do in your period of desperation, just like they only needed to do that day. We only need to wait to see what God is going to do next. And as I thought about this scripture, I thought about me and my sister the same way. We never really had to fret about how a $29,000 salary was going to take care of my student loan debts and her million-dollar hospital. It doesn't even make sense that we should have Fretted about that, but yet we did. There's no way a twenty-nine thousand dollars salary can cover thousands of dollars in student loan debt, and I'm not talking six, ten, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, even. It was somewhere around 70000 $70, dollars of student loan debt, and her hospital bill had actually gotten up to a million dollars. There was no way twenty-nine thousand dollars was going to cover that, but yet we fretted about it. And we didn't have to. We only needed to wait on the Lord to help us. Now, I'm not going to tell you that the answer came overnight. It took a while. And I'm going to be honest with you and say we were concerned about it for the majority of the time. Every time a bill rolled in, we were concerned about it. Every time another hospital bill or a student loan payment came through, I was worried about it. I was concerned about it. I would like to say that that wasn't true, but it is true. But in the end, even though I worried, even though she fretted, in the end, my student loan debt and her hospital bills were forgiven. You see, after God's leading, I wrote one letter asking the hospital to forgive her bills. God gave us favor, and they did. A few years later, I applied for a student loan forgiveness program, And my application was approved. Her her hospital bills were paid with one ask after the leading of the Holy Spirit. My loans were paid after one ask. And so I'm free from all student loan debt. My answer did not come overnight, but it did come. And similarly, your answer may not come overnight, but it will come. And so I want to remind you that your perceived reality is not God's reality. My sister, the Syrian soldiers, the people of Samaria and I, we were all guilty of failing to see things as they really were. We can better understand maybe the Syrian soldiers than any of the rest of us because they didn't know God. They didn't serve God. And it was God who actually caused them to hear things that were not actually there. In many ways, they couldn't believe anything other than what he intended for them to believe. But me, but my sister, but the people of Samaria, but you, we are supposed to be different. They had God's word just like we did then and you do today. We know what we should do. We have promises that God will provide all of our needs. Yet, today, just like we did, just like the children of Israel did that day, we often refuse to believe. We often ask ourselves, why should I continue to wait on God? And we pick up the phone and we call everybody else, especially when the deadline is getting due, when the bill is supposed to be paid, when the eviction notice is hanging on the door, we pick up the phone and we call everybody else because we are afraid that God won't come through. And what I'm saying to you today is that that means sometimes we really don't trust God. If he doesn't show up like we think he should, we don't trust God, I know that's hard for some of us to say because we like to say, I believe God. I believe God. I believe God. The honest truth is I believe God sometimes. But when the fire gets too high and the pressure gets too hard, I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to call somebody because down on the inside of me, I'm afraid that God won't show up. But I'm saying to you today that we need to start seeing things as they really are. We need to look through the eyes of God and we will see that a good and a loving God is in control always, always. When the fire is hot and the pressure is heavy, God is still in control and his word remains true. We will see, when we start seeing correctly, we will see that it is God who provides the solution For all of our needs, the song says he may not come when you want it, but he'll show up on time. It may not look like you wanted it to look, but it will be as it's supposed to be if we continue to wait on the Lord to help us. And so my prayer today is that this word will help us to see our situations more clearly and that we will learn to trust and obey God with everything that we have. I declare to you today that he will not let you down. I declare to you today that he cannot let you down. I declare to you today that his entire character is linked to taking care of you because he said he will provide every one of your needs according to his riches in glory. I declare to you, That your needs will be met and that if you continue to wait on the Lord to help you, your mind will be blown. But if you don't continue to wait, you will continue to live day by day with crumbs from other people's table because you didn't wait on God. I say again that his entire character is dependent upon taking care of you. I just need you to believe it today. I need you to stand in the fire, even though it's getting harder. I need you to be committed to standing up under the pressure, even though it's hard, even though tears are rolling down your face, even though you are tired, even though you cannot see your way through. I say, look to the hills from which coming your help, and he will show up every day single time. The problem is we want him to to do it in the timing. We want him to do it. But I'm saying to you, if you wait on him, he'll blow your mind. If you wait on him, he'll give you food and riches and clothes and animals and weapons. He will add to the basic necessity if you wait on him. But because we don't wait, we keep persisting in getting our need met the way we wanted to get it met. That's all. That we will ever have. So I say to you again, God's entire character is linked to taking care of you. So do not lose heart, the Bible says. The Bible says, though outwardly you are wasting away, yet inwardly you are being renewed every day. For your light and momentary troubles are achieving for you an eternal glory. That outweighs them all. So when you find yourself in a situation that makes you say, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do? What are we going to do now? I encourage you to lean into God. And he will show up every time. And he'll blow your mind when he does. So continue to wait. And that, my friend, is the word for you today.